Ken Medley. My name's Campbell, pastor here at Cornerstone. And it's my privilege to bring God's word today. It is great to see Michael and Ryan and the kids. And Michael will be preaching God's word next week. And in fact, uh, Michael will be looking after Cornerstone for two months. At the end of the year, I go on three months long service. So Michael and Lauren and the family will be here. And Michael will be looking after the pulpit and some of the, the pastoral care of the church over that time. So we're really pleased you can do that. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. And we are continuing our series today on the book of Hebrews, looking today from verses 4 to 12. Not too long ago, we heard of a loving Christian man, in fact a, a leader in the church, who left his wife, he left his children, he left his church, and it was a great shock to the church and caused great grief. And the wise ones around the situation were not saying, I would never do that. Those who saw what happened, who felt what happened, and who were wise were not saying, I would never do that. Because they know that this man had probably said exactly that some time ago. I would never do that kind of thing. And what led him to that was probably almost certainly a long series of very small steps. The wise response, of course, when we see someone do something like this is to say, there but for the grace of God go I. I am frail. I must be careful so that I don't do the same. And as we listen today to our Heavenly Father warning us against falling away from the Christian faith, as we listen to our Father warning us not to turn our back on Christ Jesus and to turn our back on his church, may we listen with that same kind of humility. May there be not a single person in this church who switches off and says, well, I would never do that. I would never leave Jesus. I would never leave the church. We need to come to this passage with a realistic view of, of our hearts and our spiritual condition. We need to humble ourselves and listen to the urgent warning that our Heavenly Father brings to us today. Because he says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. And here we have a description of people who have been the blessed recipients of four supernatural influences, four supernatural blessings. So here, listen to this, Hebrews is describing people 
who have been enlightened. And, and this is describing people that the, the light of God has shone, shone on them. The light of God has come on them, illumined them. They've seen the truth of God. They've seen the brightness of God. And these are people, God's word, whom God's word says, have tasted the heavenly gift. Now, sometimes I've been afflicted with these descriptions of wine that wine connoisseurs give. You know what I'm talking about. You read their description of a wine and they say it, it, it has a chocolatey overtone or uh, coffee flavours. And I think, well, if you want to taste chocolate, eat chocolate. If you want to taste coffee, just drink coffee. I, I, that's how I prefer to take my chocolate, not, not through wine, but, but direct. But, uh, you, you know, you read these descriptions of the, of, 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 the, of the wine. You read some of describing how it tastes. But here, God's word is talking about not someone who's just heard about the heavenly gifts, but who has actually tasted it for themselves. They've tasted it for themselves. They, it's not a, a second-hand thing. It's a first-hand tasting of God's grace and God's love. And what's the third description of these people? They have been sharers in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come and has had some kind of influence on them. The power of God has come and impacted their hearts and their minds to some degree. And what's the fourth description of these people? They have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Again, they haven't just heard that God's word is good. They have tasted it for themselves. They've read it for themselves. They've heard it taught. They've seen the truth of it. They've tasted its goodness and their influence in their lives. And they've tasted the power of the things to come. A little foretaste of heaven. Uh, last night, we had the privilege of, of, of going to a wedding up in Launceston. And uh, Josh Dales and Alice Barnett, a beautiful wedding. And truly, a little taste of heaven and the, the heavenly banquet that we're looking forward to. And the Bible here is describing those who haven't just heard about the glories of heaven, but have had a little taste of that. Now, this is an extraordinary description, isn't it? Our Father is saying that there are people who have been enlightened, who have tasted the glories of heaven. The Holy Spirit has, has come and, and impacted them, had some impact in their hearts and their lives. They've tasted the goodness of God's word, tasted the goodness of heaven, and then they fall away. They reject it. They experience it and they say no to it. And God's word says that there are such people, and there have been such people, there will be such people who fall away. The technical word is they apostatize. They reject the truth of God's word. And, of course, our Lord Jesus warned about this, didn't he? He warned about this, and he, did, he talked about the person who receives the seed 
that falls on a rocky place, who hears the word of God and who receives it with joy, but there's no root. And they only last a short time. And when trouble and persecution comes, they quickly fall away. So our Lord Jesus had already talked about these kind of people. People who hear the word of God, taste it, the Holy Spirit influences them. There's an enlightening. But there's no roots there. And you can tell there's no roots there because when trouble comes because of the Christian faith, then they quickly wither and die and fall away. And we have a number of examples of people like this in the Bible. I'm thinking of King Saul. King Saul. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit rushed on King Saul. The Holy Spirit influenced King Saul to the extent that he danced with the prophets of God and even prophesied himself. He even taught God's word and proclaimed God's truth. Here's a man, deep, he was influenced by the Holy Spirit, enlightened, tasted the goodness of the word of God, and then rebelled. And then said, no, to God, no, to his anointed, rejected God, and died without Christ, without the Saviour without life, without hope. Now I'm thinking also of Judas Iscariot. And the Holy Spirit influenced Judas. And he, he tasted the goodness of God's word, didn't he? He heard God's word from the lips of God the Son incarnate. And the Holy Spirit even empowered Judas to do miracles. Did you know that? Did you know that Judas did miracles? that he laid his hands on people and healed them. He saw people healed in the name of Jesus. And he taught people about Christ. And then he said, no. And he betrayed Jesus and turned his back on him and rejected him. And so we need to be aware, don't we? We need to be aware that it is possible. It is possible for a person to come to a vibrant profession of faith to be influenced by the spirit to be enlightened by God to taste the goodness of God's word to to taste something of heaven and then to turn their back on this and to reject this we need to be aware of this brothers and sisters we need to know that this can happen we see examples of it in the Bible we see Jesus warning us about it and here we hear the preacher to the Hebrews telling us about this again And when I read this, when I read about this person, I think, that could be me. Because I've been enlightened. The the, the light of God's truth has shone on me. And I have certainly tasted the goodness of God's word. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has had some influence in me something of the fruit of the Spirit, something of the gifts of the Spirit. I've tasted something of heaven's joys. And so when I read this, I think, this could be me. I could do that. That's a description of someone like me. I could 
having tasted and experienced all of these things, turn my back on them and reject them. And what Hebrews says is that if you do that, it is not just very difficult to come back to Christ. Or not extremely unlikely, but impossible. What does the word mean in the Greek language? It means impossible. It just means the same. It's impossible, the Bible says, if you taste the goodness of God's word and are enlightened, the Holy Spirit has its influence on you, you see something of the fruit of the Spirit, even the gifts of the Spirit, and you reject that, it's impossible to return to Christ. It's a severe warning. And let me illustrate it like this. It's similar to the illustration I've put in my little article. But I I can picture a soldier on the battlefield and he's been shot in the chest, he's bleeding on the battlefield. And the medics rush to him with a stretcher and he sees the stretcher and he sees that they're going to take him to the field hospital and he sees it and he says, no, I don't want that. I will not get on the stretcher. And so then they take a compression bandage and they hold it to the wound and he feels the weight of it and he he knows that this is going to, for a little while at least, staunch the flow of blood. And then he pushes it away. No, I won't have that. Get that off me. So then a thermal blanket, they cover him with a thermal blanket to, to slow down the effects of shock on his body. And he can feel the warmth of it. But he tears it off and says, no, I won't have that either. And then finally, one of the medics comes to him with blood, a unit of blood, the same type of blood that he has. And it's the medic's own blood. They have the same blood type. And the medic says, look, life-saving blood, it's my blood, I'm going to give it to you so that you can live. And the man takes it and holds it, weighs it, and throws it away. That's a dead man, right? That's a dead man, because every possible help has been brought to him, and he said no to it. I won't have the bandage, I won't have the stretcher, I won't have the blanket, I won't have the blood. Every possible help has been brought to him, and he said no. So there's no hope for that man. And this is what Hebrews is saying. That if we have been enlightened with God's word, and we see something of the truth of it, and we say no to it, and the Spirit has influenced us, and we've said no to the Holy Spirit, and we've tasted something of heaven's goodness, and we've tasted the heavenly gift of God's Saviour, In fact, literally tasted it in the Lord's Supper. Literally tasted the body and blood of Christ, the Saviour. And if we say no to these things, it's no wonder that it is impossible to be saved. It's impossible to come back to Christ because you have seen him. And you know him, you know who he is and what he's done, and you've said no. And that's why it says it's impossible to be renewed 
to repentance. And here's the reason. Here's another reason, if you like. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. To their loss. In fact, it's literally personally. That's what it is in the original. Personally, they are re-crucifying the Son of God. And, and so what Hebrews is saying, brothers and sisters, it's saying that if we taste and see the Lord Jesus Christ and we know who he is and we then say no to him, we are just like that crowd in Jerusalem on Good Friday who heard Christ with their own ears and they saw his miracles and they tasted the goodness of God's heavenly gift. And they responded how? How did they respond? <coughs> Crucify him. That's our response to the Son of God. We've heard him. Crucify him. We've touched him. Crucify him. We've seen his miracles. Crucify him. And Hebrews is saying that if we reject Christ, knowing who he is, we're just like those people. We're doing exactly the same thing again. We are lifting Christ back on the cross to public shame and disgrace. The person who does this cannot be brought back to repentance. And our Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Many people ask, what is that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, this is it. It's exactly the same, because... When Jesus spoke those words, people were seeing his miracles. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who he was. They heard his teaching. They were enlightened. And they said no. In fact, they said, he's of the devil. He's Beelzebub. And Jesus said, there's no hope for a person like that. And Hebrews is saying exactly the same. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it. And it produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. It's a beautiful illustration, isn't it? We are the land, the gospel is the rain. And when that gospel falls on a person, and that rain, that gospel truth, sinks into a person and that person grows and there's fruit and there's flourishing that's a good thing they're receiving the blessing of God but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed in the end it will be burned now at this point 
we want to be really clear, don't we, about whom this warning is addressed to. And you, you want to know, don't you, who, who exactly should be hearing these words? Who exactly should be hearing these warnings? And I think that, that many here, we are a Reformed Presbyterian Church. The Westminster Confession of Faith is our, our confession of faith. And we know, we know that whomever has been elected by God to salvation, predestined by God to salvation, can never lose that salvation. We know that it's one of the most precious truths of the Bible, isn't it? It's a very precious truth. And Paul said, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's that beautiful golden chain in Romans chapter 8, that if God predestines a person to salvation, that person will be called to repentance and faith. That person will be justified. That person will be adopted. That person will be glorified. It's a very precious truth that is taught all over the Bible. And we love it, and we say amen to that. And we might turn from that precious truth about election and predestination. And then we might turn to Hebrews 6 and we might hear these words and then we might say, well, this must be for someone else. This warning must be for someone else because I know about the doctrine of election and and predestination. And if a person's predestined, they can't lose their salvation. How can they if God has chosen them for salvation? How can they if God has connected his election to justification and adoption and glorification. How can a person who's elect lose their salvation? And so we then might turn, not a deaf ear to this passage, but we might say, well, I hope the person next to me is listening to this. We might have someone in mind. I, hope, I, I really hope so-and-so is in church today to hear this warning. They need to hear it. We might say, these warnings aren't for the elect, they're for me. But the letter to the Hebrews, or the sermon to the Hebrews, which is what I think it is, was addressed to the holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. That's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. This letter is addressed to the holy brothers and sisters. These words have been spoken to the saints to brothers and sisters in Christ. This was written for everyone who calls themselves a Christian, for everyone who professes to be a Christian. That's who this warning is for. Do you call yourself a Christian? This warning is for you. Are you a member of the church? This warning is for you. Have you been baptised? This warning is for you. It does not teach that the elect can lose their salvation. It doesn't teach that. It does teach that those who call themselves Christians 
are capable of renouncing that. Those who profess to be Christians are capable of turning their back on Jesus Christ. It means that those who are members of a local church, those who have been baptised, are capable of saying no to all that they have heard and learnt. If you have tasted the gifts of heaven, but you've been enlightened, the Holy Spirit's had his work and his influence in your life. You've tasted the goodness of heaven and the goodness of God's word. The warning is for you. The warning is for me. And again, I read this. I'm telling you, I read this and I think I could be King Saul. I could be Judas Iscariot. I don't read this passage and say, well, God's elected me, so this this warning doesn't apply to me. What I do say is, if God has elected me, then he will use this warning to persevere me. He will use this warning to hold me to his son. This is something he uses to persevere me in my faith. This warning doesn't contradict election. It perseveres the elect. And to dismiss this warning as being for others is, is, is a sign of spiritual sickness. And King Saul did that. Read 1 Samuel 12. He heard the prophet warning Israel with his own ears what would happen to them if they turned away from God. He heard the warnings. He didn't heed them. And Judas Iscariot heard the warnings of Christ. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that I, that I did amongst you, if I'd done them amongst the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But you've seen my miracles. You've heard my teaching. You've rejected me. Judas heard those warnings with his own ears and he did not heed them. And so let me urge you to hear them, to not reject them and to not confuse yourself with your own good theology and to say, this, is, this must be for someone else. No, if you're a child of God, if you're a professing Christian, if you've been baptised, the warnings are for you. Well, having heard these warnings, and they're very, I'd say they're severe. What other word can I use? It's a severe warning. (coughs) Having heard it, don't fall to pieces. Listen to this next bit, verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, beloved we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. And so here the, the, the preacher to the Hebrews is saying, I know you and you love Christ, and I see evidence of your love. I see the way you you choose to obey Christ when it's hard. 
I see the way you, you love others who belong to Jesus and you put the needs of others before your own. And that's what I see. That's what I see at Cornerstone. And I see a church full of people who do indeed love Jesus Christ and who love to obey Christ even when it's hard, even when it hurts you to do that. That's what you do. And I see a, a church of, of husbands who are remain faithful to their wives and wives remain faithful to their husbands even when it's hard even when that's a daily slog and I see parents diligently raising their children to know and to love Jesus and disciplining their children even when it's hard to discipline even when it would be so much easier to give up and I see the way you care for each other and I, I do want to ask at this point who do you love in this church? And I, and, I, and I don't think we should ever say, well, I just love the church. Uh, I just love everyone. No, I want to I ask you, because I ask myself this, well, who exactly? Who, who do you love in this church? How do you show that love? How will you show that love? But Hebrews is saying here, be reassured by the work of God in you that we can hope, we can hope for something much better than King Saul and Judas Iscariot. Be assured these signs of your love for Jesus and your love for, for Jesus' people are good signs. They're signs, in other words, don't be crushed by the warning. Don't be crushed by it. Don't leave here hopeless, feeling in a state of despair. You shouldn't. There's good signs. We can see the signs of, of God's work in you, God's love in you. And so be encouraged by that. What Hebrews is saying is keep going. It's the very next part. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So what is your father saying to you this morning, Cornerstone? Your father is saying, please be warned. Remember King Saul, learn from him. Remember Judas Iscariot, learn from him. Don't be complacent. They were complacent. Complacency is death. Be warned from, from their example. But look, great things are happening. God is at work in you in the way you choose to love and to obey Christ. We see the work of God in you and we see the way that is practically outworking in your relationships with each other. Keep going is what your father is saying. Keep going. Keep, remain diligent. Be warned by those examples. And instead of hearing those warnings and collapsing into discouragement, keep going the way you are. Keep growing your love for Jesus. 
and in your love for one another. Don't become lazy, is what Hebrews says here. Persevere, push on, until your heavenly Father has carried you through the gates of heaven. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop there, but I'll, I'll pick up that, that, that last thought when we come to the Lord's table together. So I'll invite our musicians to come up. And they'll lead us in a, a song of praise, and then we will keep going when we come to the Lord's table.